Welcome to the Skill Stadium, a podcast for the skilled trades, where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. And now, your host, Keith Williams. Thank you for tuning in to the Skill Stadium podcast. Welcome to episode 91. I'm your host, Keith Williams. Every week, we invite you to join us with our conversations with leaders in the skill trades. That's business owners, hiring managers, educators, and the hardworking professionals that actually do the work. So you're going to hear from them. You're going to hear stories from them. You're going to hear them sharing their advice and job opportunities if they are hiring. So definitely stay tuned. If you find value in this episode, please leave a five-star rating and share it with someone who you think could benefit from it. Thanks again for listening. Entering the Skill Stadium podcast today is a talented elevator technician from New York City, where he went to William E. Grady Vocation School. He started his career filing papers for an elevator company, and he's very proud of becoming a licensed city elevator inspector who was recognized nationally by the QEI organization. And during his free time, he enjoys hanging out with his family. Please welcome... Edward Riviera to the Skill Stadium podcast. Edward, how are you doing today? Woohoo! Hey, Keith, how are you, man? Listen, thanks for the opportunity to uh, have a chat. Maybe, you know, highlight some opportunities for the next generation of uh, skilled professionals. So, yeah, let's get down to it, brother. Definitely, definitely. Hey, you know something I got to, before we even get started, one of the things I got to say that, and I want to really let folks know that one of the things that's really impressed me with Edward is his online presence. Edward, I see you engaged on LinkedIn. I see you sharing knowledge. I see you building relationships. So I, I think you're a true advocate for the industry. I don't see a lot of people in your industry doing what you're doing. Why have you decided to do that? Because I, I just don't see a lot of folks doing that in your industry. Yeah, I mean, it's something where you got to be essentially vulnerable and open to criticism, right? I guess any social platform uh, where you put yourself out there, you got to be in tune with, it, with yourself to do such a thing. LinkedIn's been a great, you know, free platform that I started using a couple of years ago. And I think I kind of followed the general footsteps. Uh, there seems to be like a little like process that occurs. You know, first you're just watching, observing, then you start liking and engaging, and then you start posting motivational quotes. And then at some point, you just kind of, at least for myself, you know, I say, you know what, this is such a cool platform. I'm meeting so many vertical transportation professionals and just professionals across a variety of uh, trades. Why not start to share a little bit of my story? And, you know, you kind of first put it out there and uh, you get nothing, no engagement, no attraction. And that's fine. I think once you realize you're just kind of sharing your story, not for the likes, just, just to put your story out there. You're not sure who you're going to make an impact on. And when I got comfortable with that, I guess comfortable in my own skin, comfortable being vulnerable, I just started to get more engaged with the whole process. I found there to be a lot of value in it. And not just building relationships. I think one of my favorite parts of utilizing LinkedIn is when I get private messages saying, hey, that, that post was great. It really made my day. Wow, how insightful. Thanks again. Keep doing what you're doing. So whether you're getting this active engagement that's kind of shown to everyone with multiple likes and comments, that's cool. But there's a lot impact 
an individual can make and not even realize it. So, but to get circle back to your question, I'm not sure why most people don't use it as often or as frequently as I do. And I think it really does stem from being comfortable with yourself and being vulnerable when you put yourself out there. I agree. I agree. You know, everybody has a different level of comfort. And I do believe most people are probably apprehensive just because they're worried about what people might think of them and just not sure if they feel like they can share knowledge comfortably. So yeah, I think that I think that that makes sense. Uh, And also people also want to get approval sometimes. Sometimes, like you said, when you just got started, you weren't really getting responses. And I've kind of witnessed your evolution. I've seen people, a lot of people respond and engage, but part of that is you also engage people too. And that makes a difference. I believe it's like being human. If somebody said something to you or had a conversation with you when you're out on the street, you'd probably respond, you know? So I don't think social media should be different. Yeah. That's what's fascinating, I guess, about social media. There's nothing to it, right? It's like an empty vessel. It's really what you put into it. You know, you're kind of, you know, I'm one little fish in this giant sea of, um, personal brands or, or, you know, businesses out there posting content every second for the most part, you, you know, I'm sure the analytics on that is, is extreme on LinkedIn. So essentially, you know, how do you stand out? And you also end up focusing on like your community, right? I'm in the vertical transportation industry. That's where my focus is, right? This is my, my people. And what's been really cool about using it is, the, is not only like connecting with people here in New York, or in the U.S., it's been across the globe. I've made some genuine connections like in, in Europe, you know, in Asia. It's been really fascinating, the conversations I've had, the connections I've made. It's, it's, an, it's an underutilized platform, for sure. It's definitely opened up a lot of opportunities for myself as well. I also wonder, Pretty. yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt there. I also wonder, I just wanted to ask you a quick question on that. Have you been able to share knowledge in terms of learning from how folks are doing things in other countries or other cities? Like, have you been able to have some knowledge share? Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, you know, I've had, you know, depending on, uh, I've had I've watched, right, and observed and was, you know, just based on the content that's been posted by people, let's just say in the UK, you know, things are done so differently than over here. And it's like, wow, that's really interesting to see. I wasn't aware of that. That's really, you know, eye-opening. And then I've had people, let's just say over in, in Asia, reach out to me. Hey, listen, I saw you take apart this massive machine, real clever, real seem like a seamless, you know, process. I happen to be taking apart that same machine next week. Can you give me any insight? Yes. And uh, yeah, we'll just have a chat. Hey, listen, these are the things I, I, I'm aware of. These are things you should look for. Obviously, follow your own company's safety guidelines, practices, and policies. But, uh, you know, so, yeah, there's definitely a lot of knowledge sharing that goes on outside of the content posting. And, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm an open book. I, I'll help who I can help, share advice when I can share advice. That's, that, and that's the beauty of a community, right? Yes. I've done that to scale somewhat here in New York City with my own peers, you know, and, and whether they're in the company I work for right now or they're in another company, we're always a phone call away to help each other out. So it's been pretty neat to be able to do that on a global scale. Let's take a step back. When you were, you attended a vocation high school, which, you know, we don't see a lot of them, a lot of vocation high schools these days. Why did you decide to pursue a career in the skilled trades? What, what was your personal reasoning for that? You know, what's fascinating about that. And well, maybe not about that, but yeah, I mean, I see a lot of like bring the trades back, 
you know, trade schools, such a great option that, that's being heavily promoted today. And it, it, it's awesome. It really is. Mm-hmm. For myself, when I was in kindergarten, I knew I was going to work with my hands. I remember building blocks and saying, this is what I'm going to do forever, you know? And when I had to apply for high school, I specifically went and applied for Willie Me Grady. There, there was zero uh, other option for me. And granted, vocational schools, even when I was attending, were looked at as, hey, these are where the, the bad kids go. These are the ones who aren't going to strive to succeed at anything. Kind of by default, you know, you're going to go to a vocational school, make something of yourself if you like. Because even my guidance counselors were curious as to why a academically strong student wanted to attend a vocational school. And I had a, you know, I had a really clear picture. I thought, I want to study electrical. And Grady, this is the school. This is, has a great program. I'm going to go here. And I went and said, listen, I'll tell you one thing, uh, Keith. The school at the time, you know, it, it wasn't the safest environment, you know. <laughs> That's just something that happened in Brooklyn and probably a lot of the boroughs. Some of the schools, it's like, you know, no one really went there to uh, uh, capitalize on the free education. It was just more a lot of, you know, hopefully graduating high school, you know, violence, gangs. A lot of that had did, did exist there. But you weren't shaking my view. I was like, I can, I can survive all that. I'm, I'm here for this education. And I went to that vocational school, and it was. Let me tell you, it was one of the best things I, I ever did was attending William E. Grady. Definitely. Um, and it, you know, it's interesting. The school. I think I may have been one of the last students. The New York City public school system started to scale back on vocational schools because they had very rich. Like you could have went to. Grady and studied HVAC, and I mean full-blown HVAC education, full-blown automotive education, full-blown electrical education. So when you finished, when you graduated from Grady, studied electrical, the, the, the doors were open for you, right? Con Edison, you know, uh, Transit was a big, you know, employer. Local Three, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Three, you know, everyone was looking for Grady talent. It so, had a good reputation, me, I would imagine. I, it, it had a tremendous reputation. But I think at certain certain point, it, it just became like, again, like a default for kids who had no vision, no guidance, just go here. And they kind of scaled back. If you were to go there today, and I don't want to, you know, speak for the school, but when I kind of, I look it up online, those programs aren't there. They're more like one trade program, which is like a general program. You do a little bit of everything, which is great. But uh, had I... Had, I, I believe had kids taken more advantage of it, the school's program would have thrived a lot longer. Hopefully, you know, they bring that curriculum back. It, it was it's such a rewarding opportunity to really make a great living for yourself and your family. Mm-hmm. And one of the best things about, for me, and I'm in the elevator trade, building elevators, my work is tangible. You know, I go, I build things. It's pretty cool to be able to do that. And uh, vocational schools are really the you know, that, that first step to uh, entering into the trade with a really solid foundation. What do you think the best thing is about being an elevator technician, particularly in New York City? I don't, this is a, this is the best thing about being an elevator technician in New York City is there's no shortage of elevators. Yes. Not in New York. Yes. Um, you know, that's, that's one thing for sure. I mean, being, just being an elevator technician in general, you're really going to be, if you're a well-diverse elevator technician, your skill set is, is immense, right? I mean, one day I could be, I'm welding steel. Uh, you know, I have a, next day I'm, I'm wiring up controllers. The other day I'm, I'm hanging travelers or I'm, I'm building counterweight frames or I'm stacking rails. Uh, it's, it's 
extremely, uh, extremely diverse, just being an elevator technician in general. So the work's never the same. It seems like it changes. So that can really keep your interest because you're doing different things. Yeah. You know, I kind of, uh, there's a couple of sides to the business, right? There's uh, the service side for maintenance, mm-hmm. maintenance repairs. That's, you know, I work in the modernization and new installation side of the business. So brand new construction, installing elevators, or where I've kind of focused on for the last couple of years has been elevator modernization. So going into an existing building mm-hmm. and depending on the scope of work, removing old equipment and then installing new equipment. I would so imagine for the most that- part. So, sorry, I would imagine that yeah, keeps no, you pretty no. busy then because because just oh, the city that see, you're in. Oh, yeah. Listen, work is never – it's very rare for work in New York to dry out. It's, but it's like anything else, any construction profession. There's there's times where we're booming and there's times where it slows down. And um, we're, we're project-based, right? So mm-hmm. definition of project, it has to start, it has to finish. So but we're not we're, – it's rarely ever no work. There's always some work going on. And again, every project varies a little bit. It keeps me on my toes, and w- which is what I like. I like, especially like complex projects that keeps me, keeps me sharp. It keeps me motivated. It keeps me excited. And I'm, I'm, I have a very hard time being uh, complacent. I like a challenge. I get bored very easily. So the New York market really uh, provides a lot of opportunities for that, those challenges. Do you find that you have to take new courses and training you know, because the industry, I would imagine, you know, I'm not sure if it's changing a lot, but do you have to keep, you know, keep updating your skills and just, you know, is the industry changing where it becomes very important for people to keep their skill sets up? Yeah. So there's a couple of, well, there's a couple of certifications you can obtain that require continuing education, right? Mm-hmm. When you get your, like a QEI, Qualified Elevator Inspectors, uh, certification or, you know, Department of Buildings, uh, Elevator Inspector License. And right now, New York State had just uh, instituted elevator installer license, which mm-hmm. is going to require you to continue your education, provide X amount of hours a year in order to keep your license, which, listen, those are, those are all great things, you know. We should never get so comfortable uh, thinking we know it all. So there, there are ample opportunities to continue your education, to, to continue to develop yourself. And sometimes it's, it's readily available to you. Sometimes you have to go after it. And it really depends also on where you want to go with your career mm-hmm. but yeah continuing education it, it, it is uh it's, it's it's huge it's huge it's something you know I, I i highly recommend for all of our apprentices and mechanics not to stay stagnant and for us also you know as a iuec international union of elevator constructor union member here uh local one in new york city we have our apprenticeship program which is top notch it's, it's a fantastic program it's a four-year program I think this is something when you, if you're, you apply for, you get into the union, you're, you're immediately enrolled into this educational program that'll last four years. So in addition to the on-site training you, you'll receive from your mechanics and project leaders out there, which is, you know, every day that you're working, you'll be learning something. Mm-hmm. You'll be required to attend school at least one night a week for the next four years. And the curriculum is very in-depth. It's really, it's a really cool program. So, you know, you're not walking in here and then you're going to start fixing elevators. It's, it's a journey. It's a journey of growth. It's something that's, you know, that should never, we should never stop doing. We should never stop growing and never stop obtaining some sort of uh, education. And let's not forget when people are 
becoming a going through the process, they all they're getting paid as a, as apprentices. Am I correct in saying that? Oh yeah, listen, this is a yeah, absolutely. You're not an apprentice for free, that's for sure. Yes, you're, you're being very well compensated for your time. So, but in in return, I'd imagine, and and at least in my point of view, we're companies, right? Companies are gonna they're paying X dollars to have a first year apprentice, X dollars to have a second year apprentice, third, fourth year apprentice mechanic. They're paying for these things, and in return, the goal should always be to develop quality technicians. Mm-hmm. So for myself, when I get a brand new apprentice onto the job, I kind of I'll, I'll know within within that day whether or not that person sees the value in this profession. You, know, you could be nervous and scared. What I'm saying is, you, you can tell somebody has the right attitude. Like, listen, uh, I'm going to approach this. This was this was a huge opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. I, I love seeing that fire and that growth in in a person. And one of the coolest things about even being a mechanic is when you're apprentice, you start to see your apprentice develop their skill sets. It's a, it's a great feeling. Uh, I'm probably going off self topic here, but yes, they, you know, you are paid throughout your entire apprenticeship program. Definitely. How do you know, like, what are the traits that you see? Cause you know, if some, you, 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 you made a pretty strong statement there, you know, if somebody's going to be successful in this profession or not within one day, what is it that you need to see that tells you that somebody's going to be successful? Like what are the traits? What are the characteristics? Uh, it's just going to be the, the first thing that, and again, this is just my experience, my point of view. I mean, the first thing is just the attitude. Mm-hmm. The attitude. You don't have to know anything. Right? But if I tell you to, hey, buddy, do me a favor, grab that broom and and just clean this area up, I'll just know, man. Because you, if you could take pride mm-hmm. sweeping the floor, man, we got we got a great start. That means you have a great attitude and you take pride in things. If I tell you, you know, if I actually you sweep this area up and it's just a struggle, it's beneath you, it's, mm-hmm. it's a rough start. Yes. I'm not saying people can't change. Don't get me wrong. It's not like this is the, the absolute perfect formula, but it's something I've noticed throughout my career. The ones that do really well have a really great attitude. Definitely. And you know something I've noticed, and I don't know if you've, I, I've heard this because I've interviewed a number of people. I know people who are in leadership positions, CEO positions, and you know they're good leaders by the fact that they'll clean up their, you know, their building wherever they work. They don't have to do it and they do it automatically. They're not asking for special parking. They're doing what everybody else does. And I think that that speaks to people's character. So like you said, sweeping up, doing something as simple as sweeping up a certain area and cleaning up, that shows humility. That shows that you care enough about your workspace. So yeah, it does say a lot about that individual. And your attitude is the one thing you have complete control over, I believe. Oh, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with you, man. That's the basis of everything, you know, that, that right attitude. Give me, give me the right guy with the right attitude. Uh, I can, uh, right guy, right girl, you know, with the right attitude. And Definitely. you can teach them the rest for the most part, you know. They really, it, not just in elevators, I think any trade, any profession, any career, I think, you know, it, it, it all starts with a great attitude. And, you know, I think a part of being a mentor or a project leader, foreman, CEO, right, is to, to make sure you give those people the reason to maintain that great attitude, right? Yes. So that goes into like creating that environment that nurtures a positive attitude. Mm-hmm. When people start to become comfortable working with you, that's really, that's where the attitude just amplifies, you know? Um, yes. Most, pretty much, you know, I, I chalk up pretty much all my success to all of my projects to the people that work with me, you know? People say, oh, you, you know, you, you run big projects, you do great work, you do these things. And listen, I'm, 
the only reason things work out well is because the people that work with me. Definitely. I'm also quick to remove those that just don't fit into the program that I'm trying to operate in. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the standards that I try to hold. And again, I tell people, it's not that you're not, something's wrong with you specifically. You just don't fit the mold. For me, on this project at this time, I look for value adders. And when you start to find those value adders and you start to help to develop them, give them opportunities to grow, give them opportunities to fail, but always, always support them in the process. And as a leader, you take ownership of all of those failures, all of those, you know, mistakes that occur. Those are all growth opportunities for that person. Definitely. That, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, that, that's really, you know, that's been a, a, a really successful formula for me in leading projects. And I take a lot of pride in not only having successful project outcomes, but just having successful individuals come out of these projects. I like your candor because, you know, you see that there are people... They're not necessarily a bad person, but they just don't fit into the culture of what's the culture of the work you're doing in this particular project. So it's just putting the right resources in the right place. That's kind of my takeaway from what you were just sharing. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Put in the right resource place. And you got to be willing to make those strong calls. You know, you got to be, you know, myself, no, no one's entitled to it. We, we all got to earn it. We all, we all got to work towards it. And we all have a significant responsibility. It's certainly not a, let's just collect a paycheck every Thursday. You know, a lot of times people will hear me say, let's execute excellence. I, I mean, everything of that. I like that. State, you know, you got to go out there and execute excellence. And listen, we, we, we may not be perfect the first go around. We may not be even perfect the second go around. But I'll tell you, the third go around, the fourth go around, the fifth go around, you're going to have quite a team to, uh, to do just that. Yeah. Tell me what makes a an elite performer in your industry? I mean, it, I know it's not an easy question, but what, you know, obviously everybody's, you know, everybody wants to work hard and do well, but there's some people who are elite performers and some people who are good at what they do and some people who are below average. But what makes somebody an elite performer? Like you look at this individual and you're like, this is a superstar of my team. What is it that makes somebody an elite performer in your industry? Care. Genuine, absolute care. Mm-hmm. care for everything that they do. I'm telling you, that is the differentiator. Really? The all, the all stars, you know, for lack of better terms, right? The all stars, the, the elite, the people that, you know, people want, like they care. Mm-hmm. They care, you know, cross the T's, dot their eyes every step of the way. That really, that's the differentiator. There's a, you know, listen, there's a lot of guys, girls who can, who can build elevators, you know, mm-hmm. the difference, not to say that they don't care, but these, you know, all stars, they, they go the extra mile, mm-hmm. the level of care, the attention to detail. And those things, I, I think that they're just personality traits. You know, sometimes I joke around like, oh, I'm OCD, you know, but it, it's really, I, I have a high level of care. And, and that's definitely something that will help differentiate you from the next person. No, that makes sense. Definitely. You know what? No matter what industry you're in, there's always going to be change. What threats and opportunities are you seeing in your industry and how do you position yourself to benefit from these changes? So, you know, are, are, is your industry getting older? Is the technology taking over? What are you seeing in terms of threats and opportunities for your industry? Uh, I, I mean, it's, you know, for the most part, it's, it's a moving box, right? We're coming in here, we're building a moving box. Technology is always evolving. You know, a lot of these uh, OEMs, original equipment manufacturers, the uh, 
the Otis, the Schindler, the TKE, Kone, a, a lot of these, you know, uh, Mitsubishi, it's, it's really these companies that create their own equipment. They, they have fascinating technology, really complex, unique vertical transportation solutions to provide customers. And you'll get to see that stuff if you work for them. And, and on their end, it only makes sense to train the technicians on their new equipment. So, you know, that becomes an investment on the company to train their personnel to be ready for, you know, the next generation of, of elevator equipment. But when you kind of scale back and you go back to the basic fundamentals, it's a, it's a moving box, man. You get those rails in, you get that box in, you get the counterweight kind of frame in and the machines and controllers. And, you know, it's hard to, to change what an elevator does. That's true. But a lot of the technologies are, are, are evolving in the way the end user interacts with the elevator. A lot of touchless technology, a lot of, uh, you know, pre, this we call it like destination dispatching, you know, selecting your floor before you even get to the elevator. And oh, wow. then the program, yeah, the program says, hey, it was pretty fascinating. Hey, you're going to, you're going to six, you're going to six, you're going to six, and this guy's going to 22. Okay, you three are going to go to elevator C. And you over there go to elevator F, you know, depending on how many elevators are on the, in the elevator bank. But, you know, it, the technology, it, it's ever evolving. And I think the biggest part of the evolution is, is really the end user's interface or interaction with the technology. Definitely. also wonder if companies are really putting a lot of, it seems like they're, because they, they invest in apprentices, but I'm wondering if they're also investing in their existing workforce to keep their staff up to speed on the technology that's changing so they can be more effective and more competitive in this changing market. Yeah, I'm not sure if anybody actually takes the time out of actually learning on the fly. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not sure. Maybe it happens. I'm not, I'm not fully aware of whether it does or doesn't happen. And I think it's a great idea when you're introducing new technology to kind of have this, you know, whether it's a, a specific vendor or the company specifically, kind of make that financial investment to train before the boots hit the ground. Sure. The moment the boots hit the ground is, is the moment money starts to burn really fast. Yes. So sometimes it, you kind of learn on the fly. Mm-hmm. Even as even when you work in independent companies, a lot of the equipment we use is it, it is non-proprietary, mm-hmm. but it is repetitive, right? There's a very few manufacturers yeah. of X equipment, so you do become familiar with that technology. But there have been times where we'll get a new piece of equipment and we're like, "Wow, okay, pull up the book, sit down. We're going to be reading this for a day and a half. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we're installing this new door operator. This is the." Uh, Again, the fundamentals and the principles are the same, but there's a lot of new nuisances and, and, and tricks that we're going to have to learn. And a lot of the times that ends up being learned on the job. So by, by default, they're paying for us to learn new technology. Definitely. You know what? I liken it to if you're about to cut down a tree, take a little bit more time sharpening the saw. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. It was it uh, Lincoln? Somebody said, uh, I'd rather spend yeah. two hours sharpening my axe. And uh, yeah, you know, four days the screen. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, and, and you guys, and and one thing I do know, and I've I've heard you talk about this a lot, is the importance of safety. So, you know, the, all of that has to factor in when you're working with new technology, because you know, this is an elevator. You know, you you really want to get this right. I'm going to assume in terms of the work yeah. you're doing. Oh, listen, man, the writing public, the end user, you know, providing a safe, quality product is key. 
and doing the entire installation uh, or modernization, working on elevators, right? Safety is, is, is paramount. And I'm far from a cliche, let's go home to your family thing. But it really, it really is up to us to, to, to do the right thing for the benefit of our family, man. Oh, definitely. It's very, this, it's very quick for you to get hurt. And we are well-trained. I can tell you that, like, you know, I know my brothers and sisters of the, you know, IUEC. We, that's one thing I can speak to. We've received extensive safety training. And all the signatories that hire us provide equally, if not more, training mm-hmm. for safety. That's one thing, you know, a lot of these companies, it's not something we should ever skimp on. Uh, sometimes it feels like redundant, like, oh, here we go again, you know. But you know what? Silly or not, it, it, you got to get to the point where you know these safety processes and procedures are just automatic. Yes. And 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 the message sometimes just has to has to be repeated over and over and over again. It's, it's just good. There's nothing wrong with it, you know. It's, but it's it's huge. Safety is 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 a big thing. It's something you know I personally pride myself on, and I'm sure anybody who leads a project, you know, when the job's over, you know. Every day and everyone's safe. It's a great feeling when you can complete an entire project and and you, it was done without incident. It's a great feeling, and it's not a pat on my own back. It's just a you know, it's a kudos to the, the overall process. It's the overall investment that the company made. The overall investment that the IUEC made. You know, this is just kudos. It's a win-win for everybody when safety takes precedence. No, I agree with you 100. You know. When you're not in the industry, you don't realize just how important it is. I, when I think of safety, I think about more of making sure that person fix the elevator so it works properly so yeah. I don't get injured. Yeah. But there's safety for you guys doing the work, you know, and people forget that, that you guys can get hurt on the job if if there's not proper protocols yeah. in place. Yeah, the protocols on porn. And again, even that, that end product, right, the, the end user, and which is why there's a lot of checks and balances, right, especially... Like here in New York City, you have the Department of Building that has to come in. You need to get a permit to even perform the work mm-hmm. uh, before the riding public can get onto the elevator. The you know Department of Buildings elevator inspector has to witness a slew of safety procedures that you know you hope never have to happen, but you want to make sure if it were to occur, it's going to work. Definitely, no, I agree with you. A lot. Yeah, a lot goes into ensuring that the riding public is safe. I agree with you 100%. Hey, Edward, final question. Can you share some resources, whether it be a website, a blog, a podcast, a professional group or association that the young person who's thinking of becoming an elevator technician can go check out to learn more about your industry? Yeah, I'm, well, hmm, there's a couple. And I think, you know, at least for myself, we can always start with, with NEEP. And it's... uh. Oof. N e i e p dot org, mm-hmm. I believe. I'll have to just have to cross reference that. All right. And yeah, and uh, that's where we get our education from. Mm-hmm. That's part of the uh, overall program. And so it's called N i e. Can you repeat that again? Just want to make sure. I yeah, I was asking N- if you can repeat N- the program. As in e as an elevator. I as an ice cream. E as an elevator. P as in Paul.org. Yeah, it was .org. Excellent. Excellent. And yeah, National Elevator Industry Education Program. And that's really a great place to start. Excellent. 
Excellent. Well, I, we'll make sure to have that in the notes on, on the podcast when it comes out. Edward, thank you so much for your time. I wish you continued success. And uh, I really appreciate it. I was happy to get you on on the podcast. And, and let's stay in touch. And uh, hopefully we can uh, do some work another time again. Hey, Keith, listen, you keep doing what you're doing. It, it, it is really great. And it's super inspiring. I know the entire LinkedIn community is, is, is watching. You're having an impact. Don't stop doing what you're doing, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Edward. I appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Thanks. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.